0: Hey guys, welcome to the 7 Figure Box show. My name is Andrew Frezza. In today's episode, I have my good friend, Dr. Sean Pastuch on for a third time. If you want to listen to his previous episodes, it is episode 40 and episode 77 of the 7 Figure Box podcast. But Dr. Sean came on this time to talk about the future of gyms and CrossFit. And I really wanted to pick his brain on the coronavirus situation and where he sees this thing going, how long he sees it lasting, how gyms need to adapt and evolve in the short term, and how this is going to affect our industry in the long term. And we had a great conversation. I hope you guys enjoy it. As always, if you have any questions, reach out to Andrew at Fittown.com and enjoy today's episode. Mm-hmm. Cool. So let's, let's talk, let's talk about this, uh, the vision for the healthcare clinic of the future. Um, what, one of the questions that I had with that is like, I love, I love how succinct your healthcare clinic of the future is that one liner. It just, it grabs you or at least it grabs me. And I love, you know, what it's saying when you envision it, do you envision it as like solving everything? Like, do you envision it as hey we solve heart disease obesity we solve getting you out of pain we solve the mental health issue or do you do you see that as a specific niche within sort of the healthcare clinic of the future
1: a great question uh, the answer to that question is that it's yes we would solve everything for specific people right so um when i say we're, that this is the healthcare clinic of the future i want to be clear to everybody out there this is not to replace the healthcare clinic of the current. There is an absolute necessary place for doctors, you know, medical doctors, surgeons, chiropractors, physical therapists, massage therapists, all of these people serve an extremely vital role that cannot be and will not be replaced by gyms or coaches. What I am describing is the void that exists because The scope of the doctor, the scope of the medical professional is what it is. And the scope of the coach today is what it is. The scope of one of them needs to expand. And I don't believe that it should be the doctor. And I believe that the scope of the coach already is capable of taking on more responsibility. It's not that they're not allowed, it's that they don't have the education to, and they don't have the incentive to get the education because there isn't a reasonable level of certainty that there is going to be financial freedom on the other side of the investment until now we are now doing this for coaches and doing this for gyms in a way that does give them financial certainty on the backside of investing in their education so that they can serve a market that's underserved
0: where does active life come in and then i'd like to ask you where you think active life still doesn't really solve it so from my perspective, it seems like active life is really good at, um, the assessment side and then the application of that. And then as well as the sales side and the money mindset side for coaches. Um, what else do you see that active life, active life brings to the table? And then where do you think that active life ha- could use some help or, and I don't mean need some help, but like a coach that's coming to you could fill their gaps in elsewhere to have these skill sets to help in multiple ways with clients
1: educationally it's our ambition that nobody has to go anywhere else to fill their skill set. You know, we, we, right now, if you're a coach, we have too many courses available to the point that we just hired full time marketing to be able to uh, clarify our message and coordinate our offerings so that a coach can understand how we can help them. So that a gym owner can understand how we can help them. And I think that'll be a vital piece for us, but we're also adding courses as we go. You know, we, we, we need to be able to teach coaches everything that they need to know, because if anyone else was teaching them well enough, we wouldn't be necessary. And I don't believe that anybody is. I think that OPEX does a phenomenal job of teaching coaches uh, energy systems and um, Exercise science without getting an exercise science degree. I don't think that we need to fill that void. I think that They're doing a great job I, from what I've seen training think tech is doing a great job with that as well It's more about amplifying the reach everything else. I believe we are necessary for
0: And what are what are some of those specific areas that you guys are wanting to go into?
1: so for example We need to get more specific with post-surgical rehab fitness, right? So you just, what does it mean when somebody walks into your gym with has four anchors in their shoulder? You don't know, right? Like what's an anchor? What's the difference between four and two? What's the difference between the type of therapy that they probably had post-surgery if they had four anchors versus two anchors versus one anchor versus no anchors? These are things that trainers need to be able to understand if they're gonna be able to help people who come in with this kind of stuff. That's where we're already really close because our immersion course gets you right to the edge of that and then we don't teach that. So we're going to start teaching that in orthopedic considerations course. Basic anatomy and physiology for coaches is a course that we're coming out with, biomechanics anatomy and physiology, excuse me. So that every coach can understand what is a saddle joint as compared to a ball and socket joint, as compared to a hinge joint. What is the difference between the frontal plane the transverse plane, the sagittal plane. How can something happen in two planes at the same time? Right, these are things that right now, I don't believe enough coaches know. And because of it, they don't understand how to address things that occur in one plane, but not the other two. Or how it's different when something happens around a ball and socket joint compared to a hinge joint. I think that those things are aggressively vacant in the coaching education ecosphere. Those are the things that we're already, I mean, those are wheelhouse for us. Mm -hmm. Other things that we are adapting ourselves to bringing in expertise and working on developing on our own that we believe are necessary. Like for example, what does it mean if somebody walks into your gym and they tell you, I have multiple sclerosis and I want to get in great shape. What do you need to know about that person? What does it mean about, Someone who walks into the gym and says, I have lupus and I'd like to get in great shape. What if they have cystic fibrosis? What if they have something as simple as arthritis? What if they have diabetes? And I know that we speak about the idea that gyms can already help these people. And gyms can. The problem is I don't believe that gyms are equipped to speak to these people and to attract these people because the idea of program for the best and scale for the rest does not work for these people. Mm-hmm. They need to know that where they're going is a place that understands their condition, that understands the warning signs that the workout that they're doing is actually worsening their condition, that understands how to bring somebody um, out of an inflammatory bout or potentially a you know a blood sugar drop. All of those kinds of things We're not educating coaches on how to do so. How are we really going to be the elegant solution to chronic disease if we're not educating coaches on what chronic diseases are That's there's a major, major gap there. And I don't believe that the same, the same business, the same entity is going to help somebody go from being a healthy, active adult to being an extremely fit active adult I don't think that that same business is going to help somebody who is dealing with an inflammatory organic disease and help them get to being the healthiest version of themselves with that disease. It's a totally different skill set, and it requires a totally different set of education. Both are necessary.. We so, aim- Second.
0: so this, um, and we could talk more about your your new gym, but your your vision for your gym and a lot of the gyms you work with, is it to get them to more of that base level fitness or are you trying to do both are you trying to focus on just one
1: we're going to do both they're going to get regular people um healthier but the difference is i believe that most people once they've crossed the age of 35 or 40 years old they have something it doesn't have to be a disease they could have a shoulder that bothers them from high school sports they could have back pain that they've been dealing with since you know their new job at the factory they could be dealing with neck pain since they herniated their disc at the CrossFit gym. And I'm not saying CrossFit gym herniate discs, right? Like just an example, you do things long enough and eventually your body does start to wear down. It requires a different level of attention. We want to service people who are tired of working out around it, trying to avoid it, resting and not getting results, feeling like they get hurt every time that they become more active, feel like they're too old for this, feel like they have to find new hobbies feel like because of whatever disease they have they're not able to get back to an active lifestyle those are the people who i believe are telling themselves stories that are untrue but that are corroborated by other people trainers industry that doesn't know those stories are untrue and so they compound the facts in their mind and build this false narrative that leads us to only helping people who are just on the brink of being really healthy already
0: yeah Yeah, I mean, it's definitely true when you say it like that, that it's rare that you have someone who's over 35 that's like a true blank slate. They have something that they're coming in with. Now, how does nutrition and lifestyle, lifestyle like sleep and hydration and stuff like that, how does that fit into your vision for the healthcare clinic of the future and the coach's role of the healthcare clinic of the future?
1: It's a great question. I think that this is one of those things where right now, if I was to make a statement about how we service that, it would be irresponsible because we don't. We outsource it. Ultimately, that is something that I would like to bring in-house. So I would like to be able to not partner with a nutrition company who works with us, but own a nutrition company who is us, own a stress management company who is us, so that when members of a gym have an issue, they can, let me go back. So that when a member of a gym has an issue that gets in the way of the outcome that we're looking to create, which is achieving a healthy, active lifestyle, we have the appropriate expertise on our team to support that individual, whether it's in the gym or from our HQ.
0: Can you clarify when you you say get in the way? I feel like there was was something behind that comment. So
1: so I believe that um, most nutrition, as as an outside looking in, an outsider, I believe that most nutrition practices as an example and most fitness practices are misguided. I believe that the person who needs to lose 20, 30, 40 pounds, They know that broccoli is better for them than a cookie, but they still choose to eat the cookie. Why? They know that it would be better for them to cook in the house and it would be for them to order in every night, but they still order in. Why? They know that cooking with fresh food, instead of ordering meals that they can just microwave up, would be better for them. But they still order meals that they can just microwave up out of the freezer. Why? I believe that before we start talking to people about macronutrients and food timing and the importance of a well-rounded diet, it's important to talk to them about why now? Why, why haven't you been thinking about this for your entire life? What are the blocks that disable you from understanding these basics that everybody understands, including, by the way, you. And I'm not talking about Andrew Fres, I'm talking about the proverbial client. Exercise is the same. Oh, so I come here and I exercise three or four days a week and I'm going to get fit. Yeah, but you don't need to come here, right? Like you're coming here because you're looking for something that you can't get from yourself. What is it? I'm all for you being here, but let's have it be a situation where you want to be here, not one where you feel like you need to be here. And I think that the the depth of conversation and the relationship building that's happening in gyms, generally speaking, is too surface level to solve the real problems that people are facing. And I talked to um, some gym owners in New York recently who I think liked me more before we talked because they're in the situation right now where they're suing the state for the right to open, which I get it, they should be open. If I'm speaking from my position, they should be allowed to open. But the reason why they believe that they should be allowed to open, they disagree with me on. They believe that gyms are essential and that The biggest problem in the world right now is uh, heart disease and gyms are the best solution to that. I agree, if it's done on purpose. And I don't believe that most gyms do it on purpose. And evidence to that would be, look around the gym, how many of your members join with these blood markers or with this blood pressure or with this excess body fat that they wanted to fix six months ago or more and nothing has changed for them? Do gym owners even know? Are they getting the blood work back? Is there a predictable measure that's going to make sure that all of these clients get these results? I would say that in most cases, the answer is no. And the gym owners that I speak to oftentimes, and this is not a reflection on all gym owners, it's the ones I've spoken to, It's a deflection. It's not my fault that this person joined the gym and isn't doing what we're teaching them to do in order to get the results that they wanna get. My response is yes, it is. Of course it is. The reason they joined your gym is they're paying for the accountability and the guidance to get the results that they're looking for. You haven't done the job of allowing them to believe that what you're saying is true and important in such a way that they should take uncomfortable action to change their lives that's your job coach so that needs to get fixed before gyms become an essential if you will business
0: yeah one of the things that we've seen just dramatically change that in the short two months that we were opened back up was having a better onboarding process i mean we've uh COVID has actually helped this so when we look at some of the bright sides of COVID, of People don't have an expectation that they're just going to walk in and do a class anymore, which is very beneficial for us. Cause now we, we have for the first time in our eight year history, actually stuck to our no sweat intro process really, really well. And through those conversations, you learn about the issues that that person is coming to you to, to get solved. And then you're bought in to want to help them solve it. And um, we have pretty, Decent, not great systems to help them solve those problems, but I can see where there's another level that you're presenting, which is that follow through of like, here's the metrics we have Here's where we got to get you to, you know, there's a timeline to get it. We're going to check back in. We're going to make sure you're on the path and You know, if, if a gym wants to call themselves essential or they want to call themselves a wellness facility instead of just a gym. There needs to be these things in place. You can't have it both ways.
1: 100%. And I would also, I want to make sure I say this publicly so anybody can hear it. I believe from what I've seen, and I've been in hundreds of gyms across the country, I haven't seen anybody doing a better job than you guys. And, and the fact that you are looking for ways to improve what you're doing should speak volumes to gyms out there who aspire to be more like you. Right, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, it's because you have a level of respect for Andrew and Tony and what they're doing at, what, Fit Town Jupiter now?
0: Yeah, got it. (laughs) So,
1: So, you know, the most important thing that you should take from that is that despite the fact that they may be where you would like to be, you guys aren't satisfied. And you're looking for the next level to improve this stuff. And I would go back to what you just used as a perfect example. I believe that a lot of gyms, if not all gyms, would like to be able to put themselves in the situation that you're in where they have the conversation during the no sweat intro to learn about their clients the way that you are. You run your gym like a business, which means there is somebody there whose job it is to make an appointment with a person, to go through a systematic interview process, to learn how this person wants to be helped so that you can help them. A lot of gyms don't have the bandwidth to do that because they're thinking about how do I make profitability today, not how do I set up systems, you know, bite down for a little bit and create profitability in the future on a measurable timeline that is sustainable so that we only get the members who we want and we can make sure we help them. Like that's, that's a big part of the problem. Part of being the healthcare clinic of the future that I explain to people all the time is, nobody goes to medical school to learn how to help people without the promise of financial return on the other side right i grew up in a jewish household anybody who grew up in a jewish household can tell you doctor lawyer which one you want to be and my parents never did that to me they they didn't but the reason for that is the the jewish parent wants the kid to have the financial security for the rest of their life, they want them to have the the pride of an important career. You mean accountant too? Forgot about that one. But it's the pride of an important career that has a financial return on the other side. I'm not speaking for all doctors. I'm not speaking for all Jews. I'm speaking from my experience. Okay. There, it costs a doctor $150,000 at a base minimum to go to school. You're not doing that if you're not going to make that back. So part of being a healthcare clinic means that you make money. It means you run a business.
0: Yeah. Another way that I look at it when you present it is a lot of coaches don't give themselves enough time to get to that. And I think we're in an industry where we have the ability to do essentially on the job training, we get to make money as we, develop our skills and develop our education. Whereas most doctors, most lawyers have to go into incredible debt to do that. What do you think the timeline is to become a professional coach in the healthcare clinic of the future that, that you're imagining?
1: To be a professional coach, to me, that's, that's a moment. Like you, you just decide that you're going to do everything professionally. To be a proficient professional. I mean, if I had to put a stamp of time on it, I think you're looking at a year and then it's a constant ongoing pursuit to to make sure that your weaknesses are not detriment and then to focus on making sure that your strengths are superpowers.
0: The other thing I want to ask you is how has coronavirus impacted or not impacted your vision for the future? Have you, has it been a kick in the butt? Has it been, um, has it actually dampened the vision? What, What effect has the coronavirus shut down and the outlook for the future changed your vision for this?
1: I think like anybody else, for us, the coronavirus was a time machine and is a time machine. We're doing things right now that we didn't plan on doing for the next two, three, four years. And the reason that we're doing that is when this whole thing hit, I I took a moment to look around and see what was going on. And if I'm being honest, despite the fact that I believe that what we do is transformative for gym owners and for their staff. I was still allowing myself to take a backseat to more established brands. And I was doing that because I believed that I should, in a moment like this, shut up and listen and learn from people who've been in this longer than you have. So I did that from like the beginning of February until the middle of March. Because we saw it coming. You know, any, any, anyone who works with gyms in Europe should have been talking about this in February, but nobody was. Even though all these companies talk about, we have thousands of gyms all around the world. Where were you then? Why weren't you letting Americans know what was gonna happen? And then in March, we just had enough. And we, we made the public service announcement video that was like, look, it doesn't matter if your buddy Timmy from high school thinks this thing is a hoax it's coming and it's going to affect your business. What's your plan? And we talked about basic steps that gyms could take. And that was kind of like, for me, the moment where Dorothy walks into Oz and everything turns into color. I recognized that the, the people and the businesses who I once thought had had it all together and I should be paying attention to and just learning from, um, didn't. And I should continue to learn from them and we should continue to pay attention to what they're doing. Um, but it's time for us to innovate and, and to do the thing. So, that frustration for me, and then watching the way that gyms handled this, and seeing how fast gyms went out of business. You know, I don't know if you know anything about New York Sports Club up in New York, Washington Sports
0: yeah. Club. Yeah, yeah, familiar with it.
1: The day that they got the notice they had to shut down, they just closed. Wow. Like, like not for the moment. Bye bye, out of business. And it was it was disheartening. Like the whole thing for me was disheartening to watch all of these gyms go out of business from commercial gyms to CrossFit gyms. And then to watch these gym owners talk about like, you're taking our livelihood from us and we can't operate and we can't help people. It's like, there really hasn't been any innovation to allow these gyms to effectively support their clients when they're out of... Out of the four walls. And we looked at the active life gyms that we were working with. And you know, yeah, there were some examples of gyms that struggled, but they were the exception. The rule was March, April, May, June, even active life gyms were growing. Revenues were growing. So that's really the big kick in the pants that it gave us was what we're doing is necessary, it is uh, important, and no one else is going to do it if we don't. So let's just kick it into gear. And we added, I mean, I can't even begin to tell you how much additional money we have spent in the last two months and will spend in the next 12 to make sure that we're positioned as that brand and ready.
0: Do you see as a society this ever shifting? I was looking at some stats today that you know over 850 thousand people die every year from heart disease. We're four months into this thing or more at this point, and there's a lot of people that have died from coronavirus. Um, but if four months ago you went to work on your pre-existing conditions, a, a good handful of those people may no longer have pre-existing conditions. Do you see a shift ever happening in a a mass way? And do we have, what part can we play in that shift?
1: I do believe that a shift will happen. I don't believe it will be in our lifetime. I think that we can, people like you, people like me, teams like the ones that we are fortunate to be a part of can have an impact. But it won't be until, um, something more catastrophic happens than COVID. That the entire country, if you will, in the United States will wake up and be like, wow, um, this is my responsibility. And no one's gonna do it for me. Because the way that government responds to this, the way that the healthcare community responds to this, the way that our virologists respond to this, the way that the CDC responds to this is Wear a mask, close your business, and stay away from people. Great, great. What else should I do to reduce the likelihood that I get this? Or that when I get this, I don't die from it. What else can I do? And just last week, the state of Louisiana put out a program in which they partnered with McDonald's And if you went and got COVID tested, they would give you a voucher for a free value meal. How fucking backward is that? If we can't kill you with COVID, we'll kill you with heart disease or cancer. It's insanity. And I believe that it's going to be a grassroots culture change and it's going to take a catastrophic event that is undeniably each person's individual responsibility to overcome, to force major shift. But I don't believe that that's reason for us not to force whatever shift we possibly can while we're alive.
0: Do you? What kind of timeline do you think we will be on for returning to normal? And you could start by defining what you would consider normal, whether that's consumer confidence or Like I look at being able to share equipment in the gym again, like that's somewhat normal. Uh, Being able to run an event at a gym would be somewhat normal. So you could add to that definition, but what timeline do you think will be to get back to normal?
1: About a month and a half ago, two months ago, on our Active Life Pro account, I believe the date that I suggested was April 1st, 2021. And I actually think that that was aggressive in terms of, I don't think it will be that soon. So my real thought is probably around that same time in 2022. And the reason why I say that, so that it's not just blasé, is I believe that we're going to see a second, third wave, whatever you want to call it. And whether you believe it's political, media-driven or factually relevant, is irrelevant because public perception is what matters, not yours. So when that happens again, this fall, this winter, I believe we're going to see lockdowns again. We're going to see restrictions put in place again, and that's going to last through the election season, and it's going to last through flu season, because I believe that when people start getting the flu, there will be rampant panic that they have COVID, right? Because people with preexisting conditions don't die of the flu the same way they allegedly do of COVID and I say allegedly because I want to respect people who are no, you know what, fuck it. The same way that people die, who have pre-existing conditions from COVID. It's not allegedly people die from COVID because they have preexisting conditions. Yeah, it's not a hoax. So they don't have that same fear around the flu. But because we've never had COVID before, if you haven't had it, when you get the flu, it's going to be alarming. And I think that you're going to see a lot of panic in the winter time. Spring will come around. We've got kind of time frame like we are right now. And people will start to feel like they're out of it again. And I think that it will take a full flu season without prevalent COVID for people to calm down and be like, okay, this is what it used to be like to be normal again.
0: Yeah. Do you see uh- – just curious, do you see a vaccine or a treatment being, being a better, uh, as a society, maybe not for yourselves personally, but as a society getting through it, is it we need a, va- a vaccine that's gonna give people confidence or do you think, hey, if you get it and we have this treatment, we can confidently save your life you know, 99.9999% of the time and there's no fear to get it now?
1: I think that if they had one or the other that provided that level of certainty, it would be plenty. Um, and again, I think that this is part of the problem, you know, it's, yeah, I would like to know that there is a cure for people who get it. It would make me sleep better at night. You know, I I had a heart to heart with my parents three months ago when they were nervous about me seeing people and coming over. Mm -hmm. And, and I was like, look, I don't have to come over but I live with my kids and you want to see my kids and you have an opportunity to influence how badly this hits you should it hit you. It can't guarantee anything, but if you want me to go out in public and wear a mask, if you want me to avoid going places because those things might reduce the risk that I catch it, I'm asking you to do the things that might reduce the risk that you die from it start exercising, and stop eating foods out of boxes. And they did it, to their credit, they did it. I don't have a 100% certainty that they are now like, in the clear, you know what I mean? Um, but-
0: I got chills when you said that, because that is like, so, you said that so well, and that just sums up, you know, this peer pressure to, you know, whether that's masking, social distancing, stay in your house, whatever it is, I want to see that level and you put it well that it's, you know, we don't know what any of this stuff could do. It might help. And let's all start doing the things that might help. Let's all take personal responsibility to do those things. And that includes the diet and the exercise and getting outside and all that stuff.
1: Mm -hmm. Look, I was one of the first people to say that I think that masks are useless publicly. I would retract that statement today. Right. And I would retract it because Number one, I don't think that it benefited the overall conversation. I think that I missed the point that I was trying to make when I said it. I still don't believe that masks are the answer, but I do believe that per, personal responsibility is a big part of the answer. And because I don't have evidence and I'm not an, a data science specialist, to suggest that masks are negatively impacting me. I'll wear one everywhere I go. I'll complain about it all I want, but I'll wear one everywhere I go. Um, And I would ask that people who are concerned about other people's actions, take their own, right? Like if you're asking everybody to do the thing that is like the maybe, if there's a 1% chance it's worth it, okay, I disagree. But look in the mirror, have that conversation with yourself, put down the cookie, put down the wheat tins, put down the, 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 the food from the bag in the box and go for a walk. That's that's. I just think that we have to be personally responsible for, for all of it.
0: Yeah. And if you want to, if you want to, you think your part is spreading the message of mass, do your part to spread this message as well, because this is just as important, right? If that's also something that you feel is part of your personal responsibility, let's spread this message as well.
1: Yeah. And and I also, just just for people who would be wondering, as I say all that, I want to make sure I leave nothing unturned. I live in a beach town with a boardwalk and a beach. I'm not wearing a mask when I walk on the boardwalk or when I go to the beach, or when I walk around town, because I understand that my likelihood of getting somebody else sick is higher when I don't wear a mask. I believe that if I'm outside, I can create the distance. They can create the distance and we both know what we're getting ourselves into if we just had to go to public places. I just wanted to make sure I said that.
0: Last thing I want to ask you, ask you about coronavirus is how confident are you that once we get through this, we're not just gonna face the next thing, that now that everyone's attention is on these type of viruses, these type of diseases, that we're not just gonna get through this and, and go on to the next thing. And like, should a gym owner just be basically planning as, as this, is, this is a forever thing?
1: I have a lot of concern about that. And I have a lot of concern about that because, and this is why I started the mask conversation I started, it was like, so are we gonna wear masks always? like if, if I cough in the winter, do I wear a mask? Do I like do I wear a mask to the gym? What what si- what is the minimum threshold for symptomology to be wearing a mask? That was the problem that I had with the overwhelming if you don't wear it, you're a bad person. Yeah. Which I still think is a problem, bad rhetoric. Um I believe that. Most of the cleaning that happens in gyms that is meant to make people feel comfortable and safe is a facade. And I believe that that facade is necessary and I believe that that facade is here to stay. So I don't believe that there's a world in which people go back to a gym, see it being messy and um, careless and say to themselves, this is a good idea. I do see a world in which people go back to the gyms high five again do burpees on the same floor someone else just did burpees on without the floor getting cleaned and dwelled on for 10 minutes um i do see that happening again is that is that a clear answer
0: yeah april 20 2022 yeah can't wait can't wait to do burpees in someone else's sweat <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's circle back to the the healthcare clinic of the future what do you see are the major things that's standing in the way? You know, the one that, that jumps out to me is, we can't keep good quality coaches in our industry or either we don't know how to develop them, we don't know how to pay them. Like I see that as a big one. What, and you could elaborate on that, but what's standing in our way as a, as a whole of the micro gym industry from getting there?
1: The micro gym industry, it sucks. I don't mind saying it as it is. The micro gym industry sucks. Ask yourself this. If the micro gym industry was any good, would you ever have to say, yeah, we're a gym like that, but not like that? Right? The association is that most gyms like the one that you operate, aren't doing a good job. Otherwise, you would be able to say, yeah, we're just like all of those gyms. Isn't that great? But you can't because most of them aren't doing a good job. And I believe that because of that, the industry itself stands in the way. And that's why it can't be an extension of the industry. It's gotta be a new industry. You know, the the, the way I see it is this, I'll give you very simple scopes. Doctors manage what we call ADLs, activities of daily living. It's important for people to understand how scopes are defined. And the scope of a doctor is defined by the education of a doctor. And the education of a doctor is defined by the school that educates them. And the decision of how to educate the doctor from the school is made, make no mistake about it, the school is a business, is made based on the likelihood that they can get a student to enroll. And so when they look at, What does it take to get a student to enroll? They're looking at what is the likelihood of having a financially secure life on the backside of this $150,000, $300,000 education that costs two years to seven years of your life after college. What is the likelihood of financial success on the backside? It must be high. Well, who controls 99% of the financial success of doctors on the backside of their education? Insurance. Insurance. What do insurance companies pay doctors to do? They pay doctors. When I speak about doctors right now, I am not talking about heart surgeons, doctors like that. I don't understand their scope. I have never been one. I'm talking about physical therapists, chiropractors, orthopedists. They pay for the doctor to restore the patient's ADLs, activities of daily living. What that means is schools will educate their students on how to restore their patients ADLs, activities of daily living. Examples of activities of daily living are things like washing yourself, feeding yourself, ambulating, meaning being able to walk around, being able to be a part of a community, which means that you can speak for yourself, you know, move a chair and get into it, Things like that. Being able to drive, being able to eat, being able to wipe your own ass is literally an ADL, right? So sleeping through the night. These are the things that medical schools, let me backtrack, that chiropractic physical therapy schools are teaching their students to be able to remedy for their patients. What we see in the gyms And what we're frustrated by as coaches are ADIs. That is an active life term, it doesn't exist. We're creating that. Activities of daily interest. Bob wants to be able to run a mile without his knee hurting. Insurance ain't gonna pay for that unless the doctor fudges the notes. Lori wants to be able to hang from a pull-up bar without shoulder pain. Insurance ain't gonna pay for that unless the doctor fudges the notes. There is a long line of things that people are interested in doing that they would like to be able to do that insurance is not interested in paying for because it widens the scope of what they would be exposed to financially, which means that doctors aren't going to be taught how to effectively service that. They have to choose to learn that after school, which costs them more money. And only a certain type of doctor is going to do that because they're willing to charge a patient out of pocket for the ability to have that remedied when the patient believes insurance is supposed to pay for that. It's a good business person who's that doctor. Not all doctors are business people. So, we believe it's the, the active life coach, the person that we are educating. It is that coach's job to restore and expand A-D-I's. It its the coach who exists in the gym today whose job it is to maximize one's ability to express their ad So let's back into that with a real life example. John just herniated a disc in his back. He cannot tie his shoes. He cannot walk without pain. He can't sleep through the night. He's leaning to the side. He's got so much pain. There's nothing he can do about it. John needs to be in a chiropractor's office, a physical therapist's office, or an orthopedist's office. Until John is able to perform his ADLs, walk, sleep, eat his own food, Wipe his own ass. John is a doctor's patient. Once John is able to do those things, usually the doctor's advice is ease back into it. That's not good enough. At that point, the John is trying to restore his ADIs. He wants to come back to the gym. He wants to go for runs. He wants to be able to play softball on the weekends. He wants to be able to play with his kids. That is the job of a coach that active life would educate on how to do that. Can coaches in the average gym do that? Sometimes, but not with a predictable path, right? They don't, they wouldn't do it the same way every time because they don't have a system, they don't have a plan. An active life coach is able to help somebody to do that. And when I say an active life coach, I mean someone we've trained like Austin on your staff. The next step is that person is now able to do all of those ADIs. Do they want to pursue excellence in those ADIs or are they interested in expanding and finding other ADIs that they do not have the capacity to do yet? If they wanna go ahead and maximize their ability to, to express those ADIs, now they want to run a mile in five minutes or less. Now they want to be able to deadlift 400 pounds. Now they want to be able to do 20 pull-ups in a row. Go to the CrossFit gym. Go to FitTown Jupiter. Go wherever. I guess FitTown Jupiter could restore ADIs too. Um, but, oh, it bothers me sometimes to do this. It bothers me actually, when I go hiking now, I start to notice it a little bit. Awesome. You're staying with your active life coach. There's no reason to go back. Let's keep on exploring things in life that you can't do. Make sure that you can do them. Express your ability to do them to the best that you would like, and then move on and find the next thing.
0: I really like that, uh, the way you distinguish it from activities of daily living versus activities of daily interest. I think that could be part of potentially a global solution as it relates to insurance and, and stuff like that, of a different way to, Hopefully, incentivize people to want to chase those ADIs, not just the ADLs. And I think the same could be said for health markers as, a, as an incentive. Um, what if someone has all their ADLs in place and maybe doesn't have any aspirations for ADIs, or maybe they do, but they're just fifty pounds overweight. But like they're they're pretty set on their ADLs they don't really have much they're aspiring to do, but they just have 50 pounds to lose. Do they you- 50, s-
1: the, I, I would interrupt you there. They don't have 50 pounds to lose if they don't have anything they're inspired to do. You know, what, what, what is it that having 50 pounds extra on them is holding them back from? Right? What if
0: it's, what if it's just a fear of long-term ramifications?
1: That's an ADI. I have interest in being able to live my life, like without dying prematurely, because I added all this extra weight. Now it's a more ambiguous one. And as you throw it at me from that perspective, I definitely have to do more thinking on how we can better communicate why that's a problem that we saw. Unfortunately, in most gyms, that person walks in on January 2 and looks the same on January 1, a year later. So despite the fact that that gym has all of the ability to help that person get the results that they came for, they fail. Why? That's the problem that we aim to solve. That doesn't fail. Either you get the results or we let you know that we don't believe that we have the skills to get you the results. Maybe it's because of the way that you need to be coached and we don't have that, that communication skill. But we can't help you either way. And we don't want your money if we can't help you. I don't think most gyms have the balls to do that.
0: The reason I asked that question that way is I'm thinking about a gym, a gym like an orange theory. You know, they have thousands of locations now growing at an incredible pace, and they seem to have a, a fairly effective solution but I'm curious to see your viewpoint on this of, do you see them as an ally in this of like, of helping to eradicate, you know, chronic disease and these things, or do you see them as a detriment to what you're trying to do um, on a a global scale of helping, you know, your vision for essentially a healthier uh, country or community?
1: I think that they are both. And I think that because they're both, they're neutral. And what I mean by that is the reason why they're an ally is because people doing something is better than people doing nothing. At the same time, people doing something and thinking that it's the thing could be dangerous. So they're an ally because they're they're helping people move again and and we need people to do that. They're a detriment because... They get people results, but it's not predictable who's going to get those results. Some people get, like, I don't think that they have a good solution. I don't see most people who go to an arms theory, changing their body composition. I haven't studied arms theory in great detail.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What I have done is taken anecdotal notes of who do I know who goes to them? They look the same. They, they, they perform the same. I have friends who've gone to arms Theory and lost 100 pounds. If you ask them, would you say that most people who go to arms Theory would lose 100 pounds? They would say, definitely not. I had to do this, 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 and this on top. Well, then arms Theory is taking a lot of credit, but not necessarily providing the solution.
0: Cool. So I want to talk about CrossFit a little bit and what your thoughts are on this new direction with the new CEO. And I'm sure you saw a little bit about what they're doing with regional, um, representatives that can be used to kind of communicate, uh, more to CrossFit HQ and back and forth. But what are your thoughts on, do you, do you really see much changing as it relates to the grass, level ground level affiliate
1: I'm optimistic for CrossFit. I believe CrossFit in general is is a huge part of the potential solution. Because the range of motion that is required to be expressed at a CrossFit gym um, forces people to confront their reality. And if People are forced to confront their reality that they cannot squat all the way down, that they cannot reach down and pick something up off the ground, that they cannot run a mile continuously, that they cannot press overhead without discomfort. If nothing else, CrossFit can be a screening process to get people to where they need to go to get those things fixed. And I believe that if CrossFit um, can focus, they could be the best solution for the 20 to 40 year old individual who really wants to push the limits on their ability to express fitness and distance themselves from chronic disease. I think that is the best place in the world for CrossFit. And I think that that's necessary. I don't think that they are the cure for it because the model doesn't allow for any kind of individual attention. Right, would have to change the model from everything I've heard. Eric Rosa is a stud. I've heard he's a great leader. I've heard he's a visionary kind of guy. I sent him a personal message, wishing him success, letting him know that I was cheering for him, that, uh, I believe that he could be the solution to many of the problems that the industry faces and that, um, i will keep myself updated on the things that he's doing and not ask him to share like i don't expect him to be accountable to me and he responded which i thought was extremely uh it was it was a nice breath of fresh air right to get the response where he said thank you i appreciate these words and i appreciate you um sending it and being willing to follow up on your own and see what's going on instead of accounting on me to send it out to everybody. I just think he's from everything I've seen, seems like he could be the right guy. My concern is there are things that are unsaid that I don't know enough about what happened at CrossFit. But you know, the, the idea that there was a systemic issue. And now it's gone because one person is gone. If everybody at the top knew about the systemic issues and they're still there at the top under the new person, are they not complicit? For me, that's one of the worries, right? I don't think that they're going to go back to having the culture they used to have, but do you want the kind of person who would tolerate the culture that they used to have to be on your team?
0: That's a really good point. I never thought about it like that.
1: I mean, I don't. I'm going to avoid naming names because I don't know anything about any of these people. I have no relationship with any of them. And it would be irresponsible of me to name names. It's just that you see that like the celebration of people announcing that they're going to come back or that they're going to stay. It's like, weren't they there through all of this? Weren't they privy to all of this? Aren't they then just as much a part of the problem? And maybe not. You know, I, I, that's why I want to just wait and see. The big problem I think that Eric Rosa is going to face, and the CrossFit is going to face, is that they need to address, in my opinion, the barrier to entry to being a CrossFit gym owner and the barrier to retention of your CrossFit licensure. Because it's too easy. Yeah, And that's what leads to four gyms in the same town, each saying they're totally different than the other one, despite the fact that they share the same methodology, and even the same name. To me, that's problematic. And and if they wanna be thought of as um, a serious player, I think the quality control should be the number one thing that they manage.
0: Do you, um, I know, you know, Glassman's vision for this thing was always, The, I think he called it like the low, the least rents model or something. Basically let's do as little as possible. Let's charge the smallest amount of fee and let's let people use the name and, and do their own thing. Do you think that that was a great short term strategy to get to where they needed to get like where they are now, but that, that has to evolve over time. And the way I think about it is like, when we first started our gym, we were, we could easily have someone come off the street and just join the gym because no one in that gym was, was that veteran member that's been doing it for eight, 10 years. Now that our average person in our gym has been doing CrossFit or something similar for five plus years, we have to hold a higher standard at the a barrier to entry or else those people come and they really take away from the class experience of those veteran people. Do you think that that evolution was needed and it didn't happen?
1: I don't know. You know, I, I asked myself that question in a different way over and over and over again as we plan to open Active Life gyms. You know, because it's the conundrum of the fastest path is affiliation. If we offered affiliation and very little support, we would have 80 gyms already because we have 80 gyms in our pro path right now, paying us much more than affiliation. They're getting much more. I mean, there's at least two touch points every single week for every single gym with us. That being said, I haven't been where Glassman and CrossFit were to be able to comment on what they should have done when they were there. And we are weighing the prospect of, do we affiliate? get a bunch of gyms and then look for more control if they want to renew their affiliation and go franchise. Do we go franchise from day one and have that level of control or do we own every gym that has active life on it in at least some way, shape or form? And I don't know. I know that what we just did one, two, three are probably in that order the ones that are fastest to slowest for growth because they go from needing the least amount of capital to do it to needing the most amount of capital to do it. And we are weighing, you know, we made a statement that we'll have franchises. I believe that we will, but we are weighing the, the ramifications of brand awareness and brand control and profitability and client success. You need to meet somewhere where all of those things are happening. And I, I don't know well enough what that is yet. And that's what I'm working on.
0: Yeah, one of the things I thought about was, you know CrossFit does the training side really well, in my opinion, with the level one, the level two, the level three, is to build something like that from an affiliate standpoint, where you have education things that you have to invest in, whether it be yearly, every three years, every five years. I mean, that is the requirement if you want to be a CrossFit trainer. And I think that something like that would be in their wheelhouse
1: well, because it's, what's they that? To. In, order to, in order to maintain your certification, you have to renew every five years. And in order to keep your level three, you have to get you know CEUs annually. And the thing is, I don't know the law, but I believe once you are um, certified by a governing body, which they are, um, you have to accept CEUs from outside accreditation. right. Like
0: an AESM or whatever it is.
1: Like our course gets you, uh, what is it, 20 CEUs for your CrossFit level three. We're not affiliated with CrossFit, but So my,
0: my, my thought with that is that's for someone who wants to coach That's if someone who wants to train. If they had something similar built out for, for a business, this is the level one for business This is the level two for business. I mean, you think about how they teach programming at a level two. It, it most gyms don't, their programming doesn't look like that. Um, which is one of my, my biggest uh, reasons we're moving away from CrossFit. My biggest issues with their, the way they teach, even though I think they're one of the best out there is that they teach it. in, in my opinion, in a bubble, they are a vacuum. They don't teach it as this is how you need to talk to people in order to get them to stay with you for years.
1: Well, it's like they're not good at the soft skills. Yeah. So, you know, here's the thing. The question is, Hmm. Did CrossFit have the resources, human-wise, to provide those courses? Like, did Greg Greg Glassman know how to run a business? It, from the outset looking in, it doesn't seem so, despite the fact that it grew the way it did.
0: That's another pattern I've noticed over the years is that every HQ trainer and person in in crossfit seemed like they were no longer owners. they were at one point and now they weren't and i was like this is kind of a red flag to me
1: <laughs> right and i will say this i know many people on the level one and level two seminar staff i have super high regard for their ability to execute their seminars i went and took the crossfit level one seminar for the second time and filled the notebook with notes about professionalism. None of my notes were about CrossFit. None of them. I took the test and stayed certified in under seven minutes. Took it for time figured that was appropriate. But the way that they carry themselves when they run their seminars, I believe is the model to aspire to be. And I believe at Active Life, we do that now. I believe that our seminars are every bit as good as theirs are. And that is not at all, that that doesn't happen without their seminars, is what I'm trying to say. So the question really becomes, when you put out there $3,000 a year and you're grandfathered for life, how can you run a business course when the way that you run your business doesn't work? You follow? Like, are you going to tell gyms that they should increase membership price year after year? Cause they should. And then not raise the price on those gyms year after year. Cause you should, right? Yeah. Like, and, and it's, it was just to me, it was always like, let's charge them the lowest possible price, give them the least, and let the cream rise to the top. The problem is when you let the cream rise to the top, if it takes too long, the whole batch sours. Yeah. Not well, then you
0: have, you have gyms like us that feel like, well, once we get to a certain level, we either have to try to convince the consumer that we're not like those other guys, or we have to just become something that's not CrossFit because it's hard for us to really be put in that same bucket as the person who's not treating it that same way.
1: Right. Because when they, when they open, like when you open a gym for $18,000 total, it's easy. So there will always be another gym popping up in your town who thinks that they can do it, who doesn't have the acumen, doesn't have the financial security to, to really run it properly from day one, who doesn't have the coaching skills, who doesn't have the business skills. And you're always going to have the same name as them. If you call yourself CrossFit, unless Eric Rosa changes some of that, which he might.
0: Yeah. I think about a simple concept like operational capacity, which I didn't even really think about or know until like Stu started talking about it. Over the last year or two, and that's just such a foundational concept that every single person that's opening a gym should be thinking about that and what that equates to. You know, from what you can charge to, you know, what what your costs are going to be. So,
1: well, that goes back to that goes back to the people who are in the CrossFit space educating the CrossFit gym owners and in the micro gym space and educating the micro gym owners. You know, for for the standard of pay for a coach to be four ninths on a personal training session that they sell that they marketed, that they programmed, that they relationship developed. It's irresponsible and it's it's oppressive. And I know, I understand the time that we're in right now where when I say the word oppressive, it carries weight and people will be like, oh, you're, you're going crazy. It is, let me repeat myself. It is oppressive and it de-incentivizes coaches from being able to see the reason why they should go become professional coaches. If you can't make enough money to even make median income at four nights. So there's a big problem with the way that we teach gyms to become profitable instead of teaching gyms to become valuable. There needs to be enough money for everybody. It can't can't be the gym wins and the coach loses or the coach wins and the gym loses. Everyone has to win, including the client for whom the, the session must be worth it. And so part of the reason why it's difficult to mentor um, all gyms in the same way, is I don't believe that you can get the same rate for a personal training session in Manhattan that you would get in Palm Beach, that you would get in Kenosha, Wisconsin, or Kenosha, wherever Kenosha is, for those of you Kenosha listeners. You know, we have formulas that work for all of those different areas, but it's not as easy to say as charge 75 bucks and pay four nights. And then the way you pay the coach needs to vary based on what you're charging so that you can actually meet your incomes, your, ne- your costs on the session, which are real, which is replacing the coaching class, paying for the space that they're occupying in the gym, taking up the income tax that you have to pay for the coach and the credit card processing fees. What does that actually equal? And we have formulas for that. So that coaches can get paid full and gyms can get paid full, but they vary from place to place. You know, if we said rule of thumb, pay your coaches one and a half times, or excuse me, keep as the gym, one and a half times whatever you charge for a class, whatever you pay a coach to run a class, it could be two gyms in the same town. One gym pays their coaches 30, one gym pays their coaches 20. That math doesn't work.
0: All right, well, we sound like a bunch of old jaded guys here, but um, let's, get, no, let's talk about some solutions. No, I'm, I'm, I'm on, uh, yeah, go ahead.
1: I'm optimistic. It's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I think that what needs to happen is even amongst CrossFit gyms, if we're, if we're going to stay on the CrossFit topic, they need to know who their target demo is. And they need to have a process developed around supporting their target demo. And they need to have the humility to refer those people who would join their gym, but are not their target demo to the other gym that is local to them, who that person is the target demo for. Because then all of the gyms are working together. All of the gyms can raise their prices because they're going to provide a deeper level of value for each of the members. And they're no longer having to describe why they're different than everybody else because they have the the understanding that we're all gonna help each other. Yeah. You know, there's all this talk about community. Commun- the community is amazing. Oh yeah? You want to cross gym to open across the street from you? Fuck that. Amazing. I love your community spirit. So
0: one of the things I want to ask you was what are some of the unique solutions that you think are opportunities right now or that gyms should be thinking about? And I know you've provided some unique ones on social media to your ProPath gyms, but you know, even just something that might plant a seed in someone's mind to wanna work with you, to wanna think differently about their business. What are some unique solutions that someone could be thinking about right now with the the current climate of, of gyms being shut down, running at park capacity?
1: Number one is learn sales. Learn sales. What gym owners fail to recognize is that they are in the sales, marketing, and relationship business. They remember that they're in the relationship business, but they fail to remember the sales and the marketing part. And those are non negotiables. Work on yourself as an individual, at least twice as often and twice as intensely as you work on your business. The Propath and soon to be Pro Coach are both programs that we have developed to develop people that allow them to be successful in a fitness business. right? So they are personal development programs that are masked in fitness. The reason why that's so important is, If we told gym owners right now it costs you $100 per month per member just to have them in the gym, right? That's your gross margin. Which means your net margin might be as high as it costs $130 a month to have members in the gym. And in order for you to make the income that you're looking for, let's say you want to make $100,000, you need to make $8,300 of net margin every single month in order to hit your number. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like whatever your net margin per member is into $8,300, the number that that equals is the number of members that you need in your gym. You probably aren't close to that. You couldn't handle that. So you need to charge more so that you can develop really high level skill that you can provide to your membership. You're going to feel bad when one of your members tells you, I can't afford that. Or that's crazy. Why are you raising the price on me? I stuck with you through COVID. I stuck with you through the other thing. I've been with you forever. And you're going to internalize the relationship that you have with that person without being honest with yourself about the fact that you don't feel good about your livelihood. You don't feel good about telling people what you do for a living. You don't feel good about where you live. You don't feel good about the car you drive. You don't feel good about the opportunities you can afford your kids and your significant other. You you don't feel good about the amount of vacation that you're not able to take. And you don't feel good about the fact that it's unpredictable which of your members are going to get the results that they joined and which are not. And you want to be able to do a better job for yourself, for your family and for your members. And in order to do a better job, you need to charge more so that you can spend more time, spend more intention, create systems, delegate tasks, hire staff and build the business that you really want. The only thing in the way of that is your own self-talk. It's your own values. It's your own beliefs that need to be broken before you can do that stuff. The moment that you realize, let's just call her Mary member. The moment that you realize you could help Mary more if she was willing to pay more so that you could spend more time, have more staff, delegate tasks, Make the process better for her. The moment you realize that, you should resent that you haven't yet. And when she says, I can't afford that, or I don't want to do that, what you need to understand is that she doesn't value the kind of impact that you want to have on all of your members. And you have to decide if you want members there who don't want that kind of impact. And I'll leave this statement with this. A lot of people view it as like, these are my friends though. I have a lot of friends who are not my customers. I have a lot of friends who were my customers who are no longer my customers. I hire and fire my friends all the time as people I do business with. Friends are friends, clients are clients, and they're not the same.
0: Yeah. I think me and you are a perfect example. I mean, I've paid you for many things and I would say our friendship is as good now as ever even though that we have no current transactional relationship in that sense for money. Right? And that doesn't mean I won't pay you for something in the future or you won't pay me for something in the future. I have um, tried to pay you. <laughs> really? I can yes. send you my address if you want to mail me a check I, or something. I, I, haven't, <laughs> I
1: haven't tried to send you money. I've tried to I've tried to come work. But you're right. And it's exactly true. You know, like if, if I was to hire you to, train our team on something i would expect you to charge me full price because i have enough respect for you that i would want you to make the money that you need to make to live the life that you want to live that i'm hiring you because you've been able to do
0: and you want me you want me to be pumped to put my full heart and energy into what you're paying me to do
1: Absolutely. And when you, when you miss a deadline, I want to be like, yo, I know we're friends, but I didn't pay you full price for this. Like where, what's going on here. I want to be able to have a business relationship with a business client or a business consultant.
0: A lot of people don't realize that that actually takes more of the emotional side out of it rather than in, trying to inject it into it. And I've, one of the things I've heard you say is, um, coaches that say, I don't care about the money or gym owners that say, I don't care about the money yet they spend more of their waking 18 hours a day, thinking about money, maybe not specifically about their business, but the things they can't pay off all these things in their life where money's a stress and they actually are more of a slave to money than the person who has the comfort and the income to support their lifestyle.
1: I would argue that you can't pour your full passion into your work until you do what you do for money and what I mean by that is this I would I've been offered seven figure a year career opportunities to leave what I'm doing right now I don't make seven figures a year I haven't even thought once about saying yes to those things because the only thing that I am willing to do for money is this. The only thing I'm willing to do for money right now is this. What that allows me to do is give all of my focus and all of my attention to making me better at this. So in the last two years, I have spent personally almost $200,000, on coaching for myself. I can't do that if I don't make money and making the money, I just dump into something that makes me better. Dump into something that makes our team better and making me better making our team better makes our client experience better, our outcomes better. Everything gets better. Money is neutral and what what I've come to understand is that the more money you make, the more you, you become. And what I mean by that is some of the greatest people I know don't know how to make any money. And they look at money as a bad thing. You know, like if you have it or want it, you're bad. And I asked them like, what would you do with a million dollars? If I just gave you a million dollars today, what would you do with it? And the things that they say they would do with it are so inspiring that it's a shame they don't have it. You know, so the question of money being a good or a bad thing, it's, it's just not. If you are If you're a great person, make a bunch of money and do great things with it. That's it, it's that simple. And if if money is not that big of a deal, stop having a problem asking people for it.
0: I love it. Um, I wanted to give you a shout out. You had mentioned sales as a skill. We've actually used one of your podcasts. I think it was one of your earlier uh, of this new run of, of Active Life Podcasts since you got your new building uh, with you and Larry where you guys run through the six questions. And I mean, we printed out the PDFs. We've been doing it actually prior to this most recent shutdown, we probably went five, six straight weeks where every meeting either started or ended with sales training where we'd have two or three coaches go through the six questions with a um, example client where one of the other coaches were pretending to be someone with a back injury or someone that needed nutrition help. We used it, we tried to expand that sales conversation beyond just the injury stuff. And like, that is phenomenal. You provided so much value in that free podcast that people could take that alone and run with it. And I know you have many things that are things they can pay for. And, and a lot of gyms out there should be making that investment with you, but there's a lot of them out there that can take that and run with it and have that skill five times as good as they have today.
1: I appreciate you saying that. And yesterday I made a post about people who are doing like college level education on Instagram and I neglected to put you in it and I sure have. Because the same thing goes for you. I have gym owners in our course who are like, do the best material ever. Andrew Frezza, seven figure box, putting them out. Rockstar coaching course. I'm like, you're okay. Like, thank you. That's great to know. And, And it's like, I've seen the stuff that they print out. And it's, people just need to start looking and applying what they find instead of just hearing a podcast, like our third one, 003 is what you're describing, Turning Pro Mm -hmm. 003. Don't just listen to that and be like, yeah, listen to a cool cool podcast this week. Print the PDF, practice it, do something with it. And then 005, how to get to yes, right? The four pillars of how to get to yes. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Print out the PDF, practice it. We had a gym come into our pro path who they're probably sick of hearing me talk about them on podcasts, but this gym is in Fargo, North Dakota. Median household income, $46,000 a year. One of their coaches told the gym owner, if you do the pro path, ask me to sell personal training, I will quit. I will not sell personal training. We should be solving these problems in the group. She's like, what should I do? I'm like, sign up. Like that's, let them go. You're not a hostage to a coach. She signed up. That coach, prior to coming into the ProPath, listened to the podcast. She listened to the podcast. She downloaded the PDFs. They drilled them in their staff meetings. We did five consecutive sales training meetings over Zoom for free during COVID lockdown in the thick of things in April and May. He was in every one of them. They enroll in the ProPath. They get their launch call. The next week, this guy who said, if you ask me to sell personal training, I will quit. In Fargo, North Dakota, at a gym that previously had zero personal training sessions sold ever, sold $25,000 of personal training. And the rest of the staff sold an additional five. In their first week, without an ad, without a dollar spent on marketing, to members who were already in the gym. She was upset with me because she's like, what, what do we do next? I'm like, I, "Like your course literally starts a month and a half from now. You just got your launch call. Um, I don't know, I like have to wait. But the reason that they had so much success is because she was already doing the things. They were already studying, they were already practicing. And it's such a shame that there's resources out there like yours, like ours, and people have free access to it and do nothing with it and complain that they don't get results.
0: One of the other things I wanted to touch on with that is, I think a lot of gym owners miss another benefit of that, which is, it's not just that you have a coach that can make more money. But my guess is the connection that this coach made was I can now help people on a deeper level and I have the tools to open them up and find out what they need help with. So you've given that coach so much more purpose in their job and you now potentially open the the door for that coach to now actually be able to do this for decades to come because they're solving meaningful problems and they have a, a true connection with their members. It's not just a friendship. And it's giving them longevity in this business, not just because they can make more money.
1: And you nailed it. It all happens once people understand one simple thing. The whole purpose of our launch call is to absolutely hammer into their skull one simple truth. People who struggle to sell internalize the cost of taking action for their client. And people who sell with vigor, who enjoy it, who do it well, they internalize the cost of inaction for their client. And what that means is very simple. What happens to this person who is across from you, who has told you that they want the results that you can provide for them? They don't believe they can do it on their own. And they do believe that you can do it for them. And you know that you can do it for them. What happens to them if you don't sell them? What is their life like in six months, a year, two years, 10 years? What about the people around them? What about the kids? What about their love life? What happens to them if you don't intervene? And most people before that conversation are like, well, I'm sure somebody else could do it. It's like, well, they haven't. They haven't. Most people who are in front of you are not toddlers. They've had a lifetime of opportunity to find somebody who's going to help them with it and everybody thought somebody else would do it. It's your turn. So once they understand the responsibility is theirs and the cost of inaction is somebody's life being short of its potential, there's no choice.
0: Last thing I want to ask you about, you say you spend 200K or you spent 200K over the last couple of years in yourself. Um, and actually I had this question prior to, to hearing that number, which is, I know you invest a lot in yourself. What are you currently working on with yourself today or over the last couple of months or, or maybe even a future aspiration? I'm just curious, like more on a personal level, what, what are you working on today that you want to improve?
1: It all always comes back to um, confidence, it always comes back to confidence because confidence is gained as certainty is gained, right? Like if if you asked 99.9% of people, you know, to jump off of the curb into the street when there were no cars coming, they would do it. They wouldn't be afraid, right? But there's the person who is not, jumped off of a curb or anything of that height in a long time. And they're afraid, you know, an elderly person, if they knew with 100% certainty that jumping off the curb was going to be safe, they would do it, right? So what I'm spending all of my money and all of my intention, all of my time learning is how to gain enough certainty to be confident to do the things that I need to do as a business leader. And what I do at all times right now, my rule for myself is I will have two people who I consider my go-tos at any given time. One who is helping me to um, live within my integrity as an individual, and one who is helping me improve my business as a result of that. I don't think that they should be the same person. And- You're talking
0: about two, two mentors that you're paying for, not just like, Oh, my wife's helping me with this, but like, that's
1: right. Exactly. Two people who I'm paying for, who hold me accountable, who send me homework, who give me crap when I don't do it. Right. One of them right now is really helping me. His name is Ken Andrew from level five mentors. He has been instrumental in getting me to understand the potential of what we have. And obviating for me the problem that exists that we need to be solving and obviating for me the problems within our business that exist that I need to be able to solve with either other humans or with the, my own development of skills so that we can effectively solve the greater problem that exists. The other one right now is a woman named Lacey Nelson. I think you know Lacey.
0: Yeah, I know Lacey. Yeah.
1: And she is helping me with my ability to uh, be a high integrity leader. You know, to to effectively communicate with all of our team members to make sure that they are effectively communicated to, that they understand that they're appreciated, that they understand what success in their job looks like, that I understand why they don't when they don't, and that it's my fault. So those are the two people I'm working with actively right now. We're about to start working with um, Tim Markin, I forget the name of his company, but He's going to organize all of the sales operations for our company. He was the person who took marquee jet from $10 million a year to about a billion in sales. And he's going to help us organize how- That was
0: Jesse Itzler.
1: He owned the company. Okay. Jesse owned it, he hired Tim to develop his sales.
0: Nice, okay, so it was the same company.
1: Yes, I've worked with Jesse as well, right, on, on essentially becoming a human that was what Jesse helped me with. Um, who else have we brought on? We worked with Xander Fryer in the last year to help us with our, um, basic sales from a digital communication all the way through so that one on our sales team could learn organic lead generation and conversational sales. It, I will never be without a coach again.
0: Do you you like to have almost like an end time to a coach? Do you feel like it's like a good six to 12 month relationship and then you like to move on or you just kind of take it month by month and just evaluate?
1: I take it objective by objective and evaluate. Um, I think a good coach is one who will bring other coaches in. And when they see that your value that you're getting from them may be greater than the value that they could provide. They would advise you to move. That's that's my thought. Like I, I was working with. I have worked and I still work with entrepreneurs. I'm not taking new clients right now. You were one of them, mm-hmm. right? And I've had almost every one of them, where our relationship ended. It was business relationship. It ended because the amount of value I was able to provide to them had reached a diminishing return and it was time for them to go either execute on everything that we had already discussed that they were behind on, or it was time for them to find a coach who could better solve the needs that they had in the moment. I still have relationships with almost all of them.
0: Cool. We'll wrap up there. Um, anything that you have to add that touches on what we talked about today?
1: I will add that, anybody who resonates with the idea that you're sick and tired and you're frustrated that you, you own a gym, which means you own a job and would prefer to have a career and are just tired of burpees, pushups, thrusters for the sake of burpees and pushups and thrusters, come talk to us. We can help you expand what you think is possible within the four walls of your gym, and not only give you the tools to understand how to do it, but give you the tools to make sure that you do it successfully from a business perspective. So it's the skill set that's necessary to be as valuable as you'd like to be, and the skill set necessary to monetize that value instead of one or the other.
0: Awesome. And how should they reach out to you?
1: They listen to this podcast with me directly. So they can, they can DM me at Dr. Sean Pasnuch and I'll guide them to the right person.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for the time. It's always good catching up.
1: Yeah, hey, man. I always love talking to you.